0: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about him. All about him. I want to live my life that reflects him. Praise God. While you're still standing, thank you, praise team. Job 23, verse 3. Job chapter 23, verse 3, and then going to verse 8 through 10. Welcome, everyone. Praise God. Brother Corey, welcome back. I know you've been on a long trip. I know your uncle just passed, and you've been to Texas. We prayed for you. We're glad that the Lord brought you back safe and sound. We're glad for J.L. and Gavin, and also for uh, Angie and Yazzie come back from, hallelujah, the victorious, what do you call those? Yeah, the real McCoys. Amen. How can I forget that? Praise the Lord. We raised over $1,000 each for moving the mission. Missions around the world, that's what it's all about. We all just got to do our parts. We can't do everything, but we can do what we can do. And when we put all together what we can do, God can do great things with that. Amen. Amen. Just ask a little boy with a lunch of a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. Amen. Hallelujah. God's in a miracle working business. Job chapter 23, verse 3. I'm going to be talking to you tonight about leadership gold. Leadership. Leadership. And God knows how to put us through the test and the trials and the fire, the flood, and have us come through pure and tried as gold. We're about leadership. We've we've been on this on this subject and this theme for a while now, as you know, we're revamping, we're getting ready to change some things. And this Friday night, as you've heard already by announcement that we want everybody that filled out a card for serving, for volunteering amen, to be here Friday night at 6 o'clock for three hours, and uh, we'll have three particular blocks of uh, special teachings that we want you to listen to and be aware of and uh, be prepared for the next steps. Now, if you weren't here Sunday, then you need to get one of these cards if you haven't filled it out. It says, let's serve. You can just your name, email, and cell number on there, and there are various uh, areas of need where you can Put your mark, your check mark, and and your X or whatever, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you. We'll interview you. See where your passion lies, what your interest is, and uh, somehow get you busy in the kingdom of God because we need help. We need help. Praise the name of the Lord. And the only prayer request Jesus ever made was pray that the Father, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers laborers into his kingdom, in his vineyard. Amen. And so uh, we need you. Fill one of these out. If you don't have a card from the back table, go see Brother Mike Poole, the assistant to the pastor. (laughs) Wave your hand there, Brother Mike. Amen. Just in case you don't know him or you forgot who he is. (laughs) Amen. Uh, In any case, I appreciate Brother Mike and everyone. So anyway, you have one back there. Even one of the ushers could help you. Fill one of these things out. And uh, turn it in before you leave tonight, and we'll see you Friday night. Job chapter 23, verse 3. Job, as you know, had just lost his family, lost his fortune, lost his health, lost his wife in a sense. Really, she backslid with her attitude. God about wiped him out, and then he got struck from the top of his head to the sole of his feet with sores. And now here he is, chapter 23, verse 3. All that I might, all that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. And as you know, in Search of Truth, this is that key verse that expresses the longing and desire of the entire Old Testament. Humanity longing and thirsting after the one true God to know who he is, what his plans are why we're here, what he's doing, and what's my part in it. And then in Job, uh, verse 8, I want to continue as he's pouring out his heart. He says, behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And leaders, more than anyone else, can say that because let me tell you, on the pathway to leadership, you're going to pass through some fire. You're going to pass through some tests and some trials and the floods, as I already mentioned. Amen. But there is a reason for that. There is a process that God is putting us through because everyone who enters into the leadership, anointed Holy Ghost leadership, is going to have to go through some things, things that we don't like, things that we don't plan on, things that messes with our plans and, our, and, and all of our, our routines and our priorities. But in the end, we come out much better than we ever imagined. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your presence here in this place. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your precious people that are here tonight. And each and every one within the sound of my voice, I pray that their heart would be open and that you would touch them in a very special way, that you would minister to them, Lord, in their place, in their time, in their level, O Lord, whatever they have a need of as we look to you, Lord God, and focus our heart upon you because you have all the answers. Man doesn't have them. But you have all the answers, and in your hand is the future, our future. Help us, O Lord God, to be very sensitive to what you have to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. And let this church say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I want to tell you something that you already know. And that is that leaders do not have all the answers. I found out a long time ago that I don't have all the answers and you probably already have too. And I found out, as a big revelation later on, that I don't need to have all the answers. I just need to go to God and ask him what to do. I see time and again in scripture where these great elders and people that have done great things with God or God doing great things through them that, that, uh, that time and again they... They faced difficult situations and each time in all their greatness and glory that we have looked up to them as giants, they all kept going back to God and asking them, what do I do in this situation? And in leadership, you're going to find yourself as God is working on you that time and again he brings you into situations and circumstances where you will not know the answers. And the reason is, many times, because he wants you to go and seek after him. Pray about it. Ask him. That's why James said, any man lack wisdom, he let us ask for God who, who gives liberally. Amen. Leaders often feel that they must have the answers to every situation, and and, and I've, I've experienced and seen things that, that happen in people's lives that I, I just don't have an answer for. I don't know why. Even it, it with, with Job, now he didn't know why, but we look backwards and we can read why, and so it's, it's something encouraging us to, to keep in mind that that we may not understand like Job did at first why, but we're just going to have to trust him. And that's really what Brother T.F. Tinney said one time, and, and I, I love Brother T.F. Tinney, all these one-liners, all these great words and jewels and nuggets of wisdom. He said, when you can't track God, you're just going to have to trust him. And Job and essence said the same thing. Hallelujah. I can't see him. But I know the way that that he knows the way that I take, and, and when he's tried me, I'm going to come through. Hallelujah. It's going to be all right. Hallelujah. But one thing's for sure, and that is that, that we, we tend to resist the circumstances that God leads us into because they're uncomfortable. But God sent those very circumstances our way to develop us. And in this pathway to leadership, He's going to develop you and work on you and try to get you along to some very uncomfortable and unpleasant things, especially when you pray, Lord, use me. (laughs) Oh, use me. and Lord, please don't refuse me like the song says. But there's several important concepts that we need to remember as leaders as uh, we, we consider God's dealings in our lives. And first of all, one is that, We must separate our circumstances from our relationship from God. Mark that down. Whatever situations or circumstances you find yourself in, separate that from your relationship with God. Your situation or circumstance has nothing to do with the relationship that you have between God and you. Paul, the apostle, said that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. And his decree, you know, the, the scripture that, that his angels are sent to, you know, have charge over us. And, but that does not mean that we're going to be protected from sickness or, or financial difficulties or some kind of uh, tragedy or uh, some kind of disaster. Ecclesiastes nine eleven Solomon the Wise said, you know, time and chance overtake them all. All of mankind suffers at one time or another various things and various degrees of problems. And circumstances and situations that are very, very painful and uncomfortable. So when it says that that angels have charge over us, does not mean that God's going to keep us from all those things. But simply means that angels are sent to protect us from being separated from God. God's never going to allow you to be separated from him unless you allow it or I allow it in my life. It's my sovereign will. If I walk away from him, you know, that there's nothing he can do about that. But regardless in the, of the circumstances in life, nothing can separate me from, from the great love of God unless I allow it because of my free will. John 10, 29, Jesus said, you know, that when he's praying for disciples, no man can pluck them out of, 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 of God's hand. Amen. And no, one, no man can pluck you out of the hand of God. But as we look at Job, Job must have asked these, these questions, you know, why? What, why did this happen? And, and and then as he lost his sons and his his flocks and and his wealth and his health and, and his wife turned against him. You know, he, he, we, we could ask him, what's the worst thing that could happen to you, Job? And we need to ask the same thing of ourselves sometimes when when we have a pity party and find ourselves in such terrible situation. And mind you, I understand, we have some very difficult situations that sometimes we face. And indeed, it, it's painful, it hurts, you get down low, you get discouraged and, and despondent and, and uh, we wring our hands until we take it all to God in prayer. But we, we go through it, it's, it's not easy. It wasn't easy for Job and we can see that. But we can ask you know, him, what's, what's the worst thing in life that can happen to me? He asked that of, of, of Job, you know, is it is the loss of children? No, they're already dead. Is it a loss of, he- of wealth? Well, he's already bankrupt. Is it losing your wife? Well, she's already backslid. Is it my health? Well, I'm sitting on the city dump there scraping my swords with a potsherd, a piece of pottery. What else can I have? What's the worst that can happen to me? Loss of friends? No, they all turned against me already. Now I think that we can safely say that Job concluded that the worst thing that could happen to him was for God to come down himself personally and execute him, to kill him, and not tell him why. That's why Job said in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. In all your situation, when you're really despondent and you don't understand why, that's a good verse to go to, especially in leadership, because sometimes things happen. And well, I learned one thing: one storm doesn't sink a ship. Hello. Look at the, in the past of your life, for example. Look at all the things you've come through. Look at all the difficult times in your life, in your family, and job, and your health, and And relationships. Look at all the things that you have already come through. The ups and the downs, The good and the bad. God has brought you through a lot of incredible things. And you're still here. And we don't know what the future holds. And we don't know what circumstances and situations will come our way before the rapture. Before the trumpet sounds. But... Until the church lasts in this world, we're still going to have to go through some things. Why? Because God is still working on us all individually to develop us into that leadership position that God wants us to occupy. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be a preacher. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about leadership in in every different area. Hallelujah. Licensed and non-licensed. Amen. Laity ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mentioned to you the other day, leadership is, is everyone's a leader. Because first of all, you got to lead yourself. You led yourself to church. You led yourself to the altar, as you'll call. you, you, you got to lead yourself to fast. you got to lead yourself to pray. you got to lead yourself, amen, doing the things of God. you got to allow the Holy Ghost to work in your life. You have to do that. You have to lead yourself to the living water and drink that Jesus provided for you and I. But... The great takeaway for us from from the life of Job is that we can never allow any circumstance or any situation to get between God and us. We could never allow any circumstance to interfere with our relationship with God. So when you go through some trial, don't, don't blame God. Don't say he forsook you. No, he didn't. He's just going through some stuff that he already knew about a long time ago, but he's trying to answer your prayer. He said, God, use me. Okay, I will, but I got some some rough stuff I got to get out of you. You got some things in your character I got to grind out and burn out. I got to put you in the fire, and I'm going to put you in the cold water, then I'm going to put you in an anvil. I'm going to beat some things out of you. Not with a hammer, although it feels like it sometimes, in here. But, but God knows how to develop a person through this process before he can be used in ministry. And so he demands that our character rises to our level of talent and potential. You've got a lot of talent and potential, great. But you know what? Your character better match and rise to that level of that talent. Because God, as you know, is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. Um, I read a book in which uh, this gentleman by the name of Dick Iverson is mentioned. He was the president of Portland Bible College and on the West Coast. Uh, he established Ministers Fellowship International and pastor of uh, a Bible temple for 44 years. He was a minister 65 years. And, uh, and even uh, others have in our fellowship referred to some of, this th- of, his, uh, of his principles in, in leadership. But, but this man, Dick Iverson, said this that maturity of character exhibits three basic qualities. Number one, a heart after God. Maturity of character, it exhibits, shows three basic one, a heart after God. Number two, a heart devoted to service toward man. And three, a heart of integrity within himself. And that's what I'm going to be talking about in the first hour of Friday night. It's going to be integrity and ethics. But he mentions this, the failure in any one of these areas, any one of these areas can spell doom and shipwreck in the ministry of leadership. Because God considers these things so important in his sovereignty that he uses these circumstances that I mentioned to develop and to enhance us as ministers. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. If you want some of these notes at the end, let me know, and I'll be glad to share it with you. Ask me of the things to those you have taken notes. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I see the note takers. What did he say on number two? I said, whatever, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me repeat a heart after God, a heart devoted to service toward man, and a heart of integrity within himself. Praise God. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. So failure in any one of these areas, shipwreck. And I can point to different individuals and people that have indeed made shipwreck of their ministry because they failed in one of these areas. And most of them, an area of integrity within themselves. So God God considered these things so important that uh, he, he uses, see, circumstances, situations... It's about the only way that he can, he can develop us and reach on the inside of us and fix some of those things that, that lack in us with respect to integrity. All you gotta do, hey, and I don't, take, I don't wanna sidetrack them. Look at Jacob. <laughs> Hallelujah. God gave all these great promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob's family grows to 70 and and, and and just because they had 70 people and God said to Abraham, well, they're going to be like the stars of heaven and the sand grains on the seashore. It doesn't mean that everything was hunky-dory. No res- disrespect to my wife. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, her name, her, her name is Dory. Amen. Hallelujah. But nothing was hunky-dory. Really, it wasn't. In fact, the reason that, that they had to go through that trial in, in a situation in Egypt and the family and all of this was to bring to the surface some of these envies and jealousies and carnality and strife that was dwelling in the family. And he had to bring it up to the forefront that jealousy and envy that the brothers had towards Joseph. What was that all that about? Well, God had to reveal it. And you know what? God didn't care that it took 17 years to put him into slavery and then, you know the story. See, God never gets in a hurry when he gets to developing somebody for leadership. And he won't get in a hurry with you. And so, so there there are several things that God uses in developing leaders. Several things. Number one is the test of solitude. Solitude. It's loneliness. It's... It's, it's God putting you in a place, you know, where you're in isolation, seems like. You're in solitary confinement, so to speak. You're all alone or feel like it. John the Baptist is a good example. He's in the desert alone until the time of his showing to Israel, Luke 180. The Apostle Paul, he spent little time in Damascus after you know, seeing the light, and he was converted, baptized, got the Holy Ghost, and then he went three years to Arabia getting his life in order after his conversion. Galatians 1.17 tells us that. Moses lived in an isolated desert before his showing to Israel in Egypt, Exodus 3. And King David spent his younger years out there in the wilderness of Israel tending his father's sheep, and even his father didn't think very highly of him. He didn't think too much about his talents. You know, your parents may overlook your talents, but God doesn't. Your friends and your neighbors might just see you as a little kid. They might just see you as the carpenter's son. But God sees something different. You know, the Bible says that that the, the, the Pharisees looked on Peter, but Jesus saw him. The Pharisees just looked on the outside. He's just an ignorant fisherman, unlearned, untrained in the law of Moses. But Jesus saw a rock upon hallelujah or to whom he would give the keys of the kingdom. See, we, we, we don't see with the same eyes as God does. And God looks on the heart and he knows what situations to send our ways to, to prepare us for what he's got planned for us. Depending on how well you do in the situations he sends you depends on how high you rise and how quickly you get to where you need to get. But we, we, we have to learn that, that when we're going through the test of solitude that, that there's, there, there are seasons of silence from God. Silence. You feel like, well, God's forsaken. No, God didn't forsake, you know. But it's to see how you're going to deal with that vacuum in your life. Especially nowadays, and this is very important because it seems like we're so busy and we're always on a run or whatever. But but media, because it's so accessible to us, it seems like like many of us gotta have some kind of noise on it all the time. That's not good. And many people are addicted to that. And when it is and it's not there, they feel lost. What's wrong? They, they, I think they, they depend on noise and the right kind of noise to stimulate them and motivate them to get in the right kind of a mood. That's why they want to hear the right kind of music and be around the right kind of crowd and people. Why? To get them in the right mood of feelings. They're, they're, they're working on their feelings. To them, silence is just defeat and discouragement and abandonment, but not really with God. He doesn't abandon anybody. See, there are those who, who never learned what Psalms 46.10 says. It says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. So too many just, just want to cram stuff in their, in their lives with, with a lot of noise of some kind. Don't feel defeated when there's a silent season in your life. And most of all, don't try to run from it. Sometimes God, God gets you into a solitary position where you feel alone. Well, he wants to work on you and develop you, particularly with your relationship with him. Hallelujah. So don't run from it. And this circumstance of solitude in life is, is an opportunity to test, to test the depth of your spirituality. How deep is your spirit? How deep is your walk with God? Hallelujah. We got to see if we can sense God in our loneliness. That's the the, the test of solitude. Then the second test that God puts us through is that of obscurity. The test of obscurity. See, it it really hurts not to be noticed. That's why social media is so popular. Mm. People want to be noticed. They put their pictures. They think, what do you do? They like the likes. They like the thumbs up. They like the hearts. They like the comments. They like why well, it's, it's an affirmation. And if you don't get enough thumbs up, you don't have enough likes, and all of a sudden you feel bad. Or Instagram. I don't care whatever platform you know is your favorite. Yeah, I'm not against it. I'm, I'm not bad mouthing it. Although we really should limit ourselves on it. It, bottom line, it hurts not to be noticed, and God knows that. And he wants to deal with that in you and I. And many people who, who, who are used mildly by God eventually, at first, really live in obscurity. And again, I go back to Joseph. 17 years, look at all the stuff he went through, and nobody knew who he was. Nobody even cared. But the, God did. And the incredible thing is, as you know, his family didn't know where he was. His own brothers didn't know what happened to him after they sold him to slavery to the Ishmaelites. And when he got to Egypt, they didn't know anything about him for all those years. Maybe they wondered, but they never wondered enough to go look for him. His dad thought he was dead. Who would care? What would Joseph think? The only encouraging thing weird about this whole, this whole affair is time and again, Whatever happened to Joseph, as you know, as you remember, he said, but God was with Joseph. But God was with Joseph. At least three times it's mentioned at three different levels of trials in his obscurity. All that could be said about him that, you know what, God's with him. We're going to use him. We don't know who he is. All we know is he's just a Hebrew slave, but hey, whatever he's got, we like it, and we're going to put him to work, and work he did, and whether it was in Potiphar's house or on the jailhouse, he was put in charge of everything because he was trustworthy. Mm. That says a lot. An honest prisoner. (laughs) But you see, Joseph was working for God, not for anybody else. Remember when Potiphar's wife tried to, you know, tried to to seduce him? And he said, How can I sin against your husband, my master, and sin against God? See, when nobody else saw him, he could have done wrong, but no, I, I can't do this. I've got a master. I've got a higher call. I know what I have dreamt. I know what visions God has given me. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm all by myself. Nobody knows about me. My family has forgotten me. It seems like, but I am going to still do right. I'm not going to use my situation as an excuse to do wrong. Because I know God is with me and God's watching me. And when you find yourself in obscurity, and when you find yourself having a pity party that nobody cares and, and nobody sees, let me encourage you, remind you that God is with you. Uh, you got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. Uh, he knows exactly where you are. Uh, he knows exactly what you're dealing with and what feelings you're having. Uh, he knows your problems. Uh, he knows your needs, and he's not far from you. Yes. Amen. Just as he wasn't far from Joseph in jail. He was with Joseph, but he didn't open the prison doors. Eventually he did. And boy, when he did, <laughs> catapulted to the second most highest position in the Egyptian empire. The governor of Egypt. Why? Because he was tested in obscurity. When he could just lay back and say, I'm not doing this. I'm not. Uh-uh. I'm a Hebrew. I'm not an Egyptian. So, uh-uh. I'm not going to do this. Oh, no, I'm working for God. God sent me here, and remember with His own testimony when He told His brothers, "If it was not you, but God who sent me here." Yes. See, it's important for us to leader us as leaders to look back and see where God has brought us from. And really, if you take some time, uh, if you're any level of leadership right now, already you, you'll see in your own past how God has used circumstances to bring you where you are today. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And really. It's not over for you. He's got more for you. It's not dependent on age. Amen. It's not. Or even ability for that matter. Depends on your heart for his work. Because see, he can use a 17-year-old David, a 6-year-old Samuel. He can use a 16-year-old Virgin Mary. He can use an 86-year-old Anna that sees the salvation of God when Jesus is taken to the temple. Age is not an issue with God. It's your heart for him. And what you're calling is what you want to do for God. Praise God. So with Joseph, you know, I, again, I keep using because, because many of us identify with him. And he's on the bottom of the pit looking up at his brothers, you know, peering over him saying, oh, what's wrong with him? Well, God's got plans for him. Hallelujah. Praise God. It seems that a person can mature and develop easier in obscurity. Obscurity is necessary in the development of a leader. You know, if you, if you place somebody into a leadership role who, who is not quite ready yet, and there's dozens of people watching them, it becomes very difficult to function as a leader. Because you've got all this pressure. People watching you criticizing you and you're not ready for it and you take it so personally and all of a sudden the growth process stops because you're so defensive all the time and you're more busy defending yourself than you're allowing the circumstance that God sent you to develop you into the person that he wants you to be. So leaders, potential leaders, you got to take Advantage of the circumstance of obscurity that God sends you. Don't be looking for the limelight. Let God put you in the proper place in the proper time. Hallelujah. See, he knows where you are again. Obscurity is not synonymous with neglect and forget. God is not neglecting God. He knows what you're doing. Do it as under the Lord. He'll recognize you in due time. You'll get promotion. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So the test of obscurity. The third thing that God uses is the test of monotony. I touched on it Sunday. God uses monotony to develop character. Monotony. See, anyone can hang around when the revival, you know, excitement's in the air. People are dancing, shouting, and God filling people with the Holy Ghost. Miracles of healing take place. And then when the music stops, then you know what to do. But but being faithful in, in the menial tasks and and insignificant routines, you know, the regular, the unexciting, the uneventful, the mundane things, the unthankful duties and the daily tasks, it's, it's all part of the training of a man and woman of God so they can be the person that God desires them to be. See, so one pastor used to say, a man who is too big to do the little things is too little to do the big things. A man who is too big to do the little things is too little to do the big things. I like initiative. I personally do. I learned that in the military. Seven years. Initiative is a much needed and valued uh, commodity or quality in any person. And initiative is basically... You see something that needs to be done and you do it when nobody told you to. Now, in the military, you got to be careful. <laughs> and in a union job, you got to be careful. Hallelujah, right? Because uh, if you do it and it needs to be done and you're doing it because somebody else is supposed to do you're in trouble. You got to know the rules. I'm, I'm just throwing this out for qualifiers. But in general, in a general sense, in the kingdom of God, See what needs to be done and use your initiative and do it. When you see a piece of paper on the church floor, pick it up, especially when it's in in the front entrance. Come on now. Have a little zeal for the house of God. But I digress. I like initiative. Now, we all, all live to, to, to hear those seven words from Jesus. Well done, that good and faithful servant. He told us that if we're faithful over few things, then he will make us ruler over many things. And that holds true, folks. It's true. You know, I know that. But faithfulness can be monotonous. It be monotonous as we, we, we find it. So in the Bible, I mean, you know, security. In the front of the church, we got somebody out there watching the doors. Attendance takers. Hallelujah. I can go down the list. Custodial work, repairs, all that. But God blessed and worked through men and women because he found them faithful. All you have to do is look at Abraham, Galatians 3:9, Moses, Numbers 12, 7, King David, 1 Samuel twenty two fourteen, 14, Daniel in the Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 3 through 4. Paul, 1 Timothy 1:12, 1, Timothy, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. All found to be faithful in doing the monotonous. Hallelujah. Praise God. Listen. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter how little it seems to you in your eye, it's important. And God sees your attitude. God sees your heart. God knows why you're doing it. See, it's easy to work hard and, and, and it's easy to be motivated when others are watching you. It's when nobody's watching. Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will. Yes, I did say stand. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah! Praise God. Yes, it is eight twenty-three. Hallelujah! It's not nine o'clock. It's not nine twenty-three, brother Rick. Can you believe that? Hallelujah! And I'm saying, finally, brethren. See, we 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 need to teach men and women to not to to minimize the situation. That they find themselves in, but to be diligent, d- diligent in whatsoever they find their hands to do. Don't compare your circumstance to somebody else's. You're not somebody else. God's working on you. He puts you through stuff that, that is not fit for somebody. Can I tell you this way? We all have a cross to bear and every cross is different. Your cross is not mine. And mine is not yours. God has a cross for you to bear specifically. It's designed for you because you're a special individual. And God's working on you. And that cross demands that you and I sacrifice ourselves in order to perform his will. And God uses solitude, obscurity, monotony to stretch, stretch your prospect for leadership and to build character in you. It's a process that we all go through in this life. And if we're going to do anything worldwide, for worthwhile for him, it's got to be pleasing in his sight. And sadly, too many people walk away from these circumstances, situations, and because of that, they missed the will of God. They missed the will of God. I've seen it happen more than once from ministers who had great future, great opportunities. But because they were not willing to put up with the obscurity, the monotony, the solitude, they missed it. We got to remember, folks, that God's methods are not man's methods and his ways are not our ways. We must never forget that God always looks at our heart, not on the outside that we tend to do. Maybe may be great if we look on the outside when we're thinking about basketball, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's a different standard. It's the heart that counts. And God... It's never in a hurry, especially when it comes to developing these inner qualities. And developing these inner qualities takes time, time, time. So, man, we can't. There's so much to do. There's so, so little time to do it in. Yeah. God never gets in a hurry. I would just remind you that promotion comes from the Lord. I didn't get here where I'm at because I promoted myself. I don't know what you think about me, what you know about me. I didn't promote myself for any position in ministry, not even as a foreign missionary. It was God that placed me in the right situation at the right time, at a time of need where he wanted me. And at every stage and every step of the way, I said, yes, Lord. And believe me, it cost me. It cost me. Most of all, it cost me my pride. Leadership is not all about authority and ego. It's not about authority. You you can't lead from authority. You can't. i mean, in the military. But even there, you're not a good leader if you just use authority. You've got to earn leadership, earn a trust of the people that you lead. And the only way that you can earn that is by character. Character. That gives you the privilege of speaking into somebody's life. Character is important. Hallelujah. We just close your eyes for a moment. There's a holy moment, there's a holy hush right here. I believe I'm talking to people here that the Lord is dealing with, working on, building up and preparing because that's what the ministry in the church is all about. It's building us up, built up in the holy temple. It's built up. God is always building upwards. If he's tearing anything down on you, it's always carnality. But he uses your struggles, your trials your heartaches to form you, to mold you, to prepare you, to bring you to the place where you could become a vessel of honor and glory to him. And there is no greater honor, there's no greater glory than God to come to you and call you and use you in his kingdom in a way that pleases him. You will never experience so much joy in anything in the world until you follow his voice and do as he asks you to do. There's joy that comes along with everything he asks you to do. So I pray for you now, Lord. I pray for each and every one within the sound of my voice tonight. I try to teach your word the best I can. But, Lord, where I fall short, I pray that you would reach out and supplement it and speak to each and every heart the word that they individually need to hear. And I ask, O Lord God, for each and every one that has this desire that you placed in there to be used in some way that you would help them to see with spiritual eyes how you work on them. And how the things that they have gone through and are going through and will yet go through is for their benefit and for your kingdom. Help us to be willing to pay that price and undergo the pressure and undergo the fiery trials for your glory. Bless your people tonight, Lord. Bless this wonderful congregation, your sheep of your pasture. Bless them, O oh Lord God. And bless this church. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Mm. We just talk to the Lord right now. We just talked to the Lord a little bit. Oh, no Neri, lele, la canea, selo, lodo, mona. Tomba, to da ta'ki, e te